Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. All right, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Best Life Podcast. And I am excited today because Danny and I are hosting a interview with Dr. Laura Goosh, who is a naturopathic physician. And I am so excited to say you're right. I said your name right, right? You said it perfectly. Yay. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we are so excited to have you because you and I have known each other for a while. And it's been really fun to watch your trajectory as a naturopathic doctor you guys know so much. Like you guys have this like massive wealth of knowledge. And sometimes when it comes to maybe building your business or social media, it can kind of feel a little bit like, what do I talk about? Like I have all these things I could share. I could share about gut health and, you know, uh, depression and all these kind of, I know that's sort of your specialty or that has been your uh, experience in clinic has been with a lot of mental issues and anxieties and depression and things like that. And what's been really cool to see over the last year or two is you really taking off around ADHD and some of the things that you do with your mm -hmm. clients uh, online, I'm sure. And we'll get into that today, but just wanted to uh, welcome you and say that we're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. So <laughs> let's start with just a little bit about your background in terms of like how you got to, I think what, what I find oftentimes that I know a lot of naturopathic physicians, they probably had something going on themselves that they could not get answers to. And then they were like, look, I have to figure this out myself, root cause. I want to do it naturally. Is that the same for you? Was that your story as well? My story definitely in... So my work definitely evolved from my own experience with my health. I think that's true for so many people who work in the healing profession, but definitely for me. So, I mean, going all the way back into how I even ended up studying naturopathic medicine, I was that person who had symptoms and conventional doctors were wonderful in telling me my labs were normal and that I was healthy and there was nothing seriously wrong. And that was it. That was where it ended. And so, you know, what started out as a hobby and reading books and, you know, this was even before social media was big and I would be on online forums, just kind of like trying to be like, okay, well, like, what can I do? Like I started, I was diagnosed with IBS and having your stomach hurt all the time just sucks. And so, you know, I just started experimenting and trying to get answers and then I didn't even really know what naturopathic medicine was until I was in college and I was going down that more traditional route and then learned that, oh, I could actually study this and help people ask that question of not just, you know, is there something seriously wrong, but why does your stomach hurt? Why are you tired? Why did your head hurt? Why can't you sleep? Why can't you focus? And so that's what really led me down this path into working with people. Did you find that that was not a popular 
route to take. Like, you know, and, and I think we still, we still see, and I'm always so surprised when I do see these like online comment wars about like, that's not a real doctor. You know, I mean, like you guys go to medical school. Like my ex-husband was obviously a naturopathic doctor. Like I get that this is like the education you guys have is like this grueling, like academic, like rigorous, but for some reason you guys don't always get, I mean, of course there are plenty of people who are just like natural medicine is everything. Do you experience a lot of that? Or like, have you had a lot of pushback on that career choice? I think a lot of people who are less familiar with it, they just don't understand it. I think in general, most people are actually really open-minded when you say, like when I say what I do and it's this, this thing of, oh yeah, well, I want to know why your head hurts. That kind of makes sense to everybody, but there definitely are a certain number of people who just are really against holistic and alternative medicine. And to be honest, I can understand why, because I think naturopathic doctors are lumped in with everybody and there are health coaches and there are people who call themselves naturopaths who mm. never went to a, like an accredited school. And we get lumped in with all of those providers. And I'm sure you all have seen it too, but there definitely are people online who are saying things. You can make a lot of money when you say things that just go against the conventional paradigm. And so there's definitely people who cash in on that. So like, I get the criticism, but I think in general, when people hear my approach and that it's very scientific and level-headed and reasonable, there's a lot less pushback. It's so interesting to me that like I'm why it would be controversial to say like, learn more about your body. Like to me, that's all it feels like. It's like, just learn more about what's going on with you. Like, why would that be like controversial to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, people are, people are weird. And I think, I think a lot of times what it comes to when, when it's like naturopath versus, you know, regular medicine is I've seen, and you know, this too, probably some quacks online that will uh, give you some kind of interesting like juice or something that doesn't quite work. And it's like, we have Tylenol and it, and it helps. And then you get, I don't know, like celery juice fixes everything or something. And then that just turns into everybody, like everybody's weird and gives those kind of things. I'm curious though, what did you find out about your IBS and how did you, did you end up healing yourself? And then what did that lead to next in working with people? So I definitely have had a lot of healing as far as living day to day in general without symptoms. You know, what I tend to find for a lot of people is healing doesn't always mean completely symptom free. Like that's mm. certainly the goal. But I know for me, if I push it, like if I travel and am up all night or I'm in a period of a lot of stress or I'm just eating really poorly, those symptoms will start to creep back in. And so for me, it's often actually it's it's a barometer of how well am I taking care of myself. And sometimes I actually think being a more sensitive person where these symptoms might creep in is actually helpful because it has me know my limits. But yes, through a whole kind of winding journey of changing my diet and getting my sleep on track, I was someone who um, I had insomnia for over 18 years. Wow. So, you know, like actually Ooh. sleeping without supplements or medication and, you know, supporting my body in detoxification, all of those things made such a big difference. Wow. That's, that's incredible. 18 years. And it was, were and you, what, were you, that wasn't because you had children. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, wait, did you have a baby? <laughs> that would check out 18 years. That's about how long it takes yeah. to finally sleep. Definitely, check, yeah, definitely checks out. <laughs> 
All right, I'll tell my insomnia story. So I started having insomnia around like middle school, high school. And later on, when I finally connected with a sleep specialist, what I learned is I have something called a delayed circadian rhythm, which is actually very common in people with ADHD. So it's something I'm quite passionate in talking about. So when you have a delayed circadian rhythm, it's like your internal clock is just set a little bit later. So for me, no matter how tired I was, no matter how little sleep I had gotten the night before, my body didn't want to get tired until late at night. So around midnight, one, two, like if I pushed myself, I could certainly fall asleep. But I was in school where I had to be in class at 7 a.m. And so it was like, no matter what I tried, I was so frustrated. I tried supplements. I tried medication. I tried sleep hygiene. Like I was was almost obsessive because when you're that tired, it you'll do anything. And then when I actually learned that I had this delayed circadian rhythm, I was able to, using lifestyle tools, just gradually bring my bedtime earlier and earlier. So I still tend towards being a night owl, but you know I can go to sleep at 11 and get up at six or seven and, and feel great. Is that really common for people with ADHD? You said it was the the late circadian rhythm, but is it more common to be a night owl? Because I myself identify with this and so does my partner. We're both night owls. So is my daughter. She's a night owl. And I think we all struggle with attention stuff. And I'm like, oh, is this a thing? Yeah. So people with ADHD are going to be more likely to have all sleep issues, but a delayed circadian rhythm, I've seen different statistics, but it can be as common as up to 75% of people with ADHD are going to have more of a delayed circadian rhythm. Now it can exist outside of that in people who don't have ADHD, but they're going to be more likely to have restless sleep, nightmares, movement disorders, like all like sleep apnea all across the board of sleep issues. Wow. It's really interesting. It it almost makes me wonder which came first, the chicken or the egg, though, because you think if you're not sleeping, that's going to cause issues in the day for you to be distracted, to be, you know, to have a late issues because you're not sleeping. Or is it because your brain is already different that you can't sleep? And do you there's have just, that answer? Or do you, is it like, we don't know. We're not sure. Chicken or the egg. There's a, there's a small but really interesting body of research around this where there's almost two different things of, is it sleep disorders then leading to dif- difficulties with attention and focus and executive function? And then there's also a um, question of whether adjusting our circadian rhythm, because it's not just sleep. It's also when we wake up in the morning, it's when our cortisol should be highest. And so that's when we should be the most energetic. People with ADHD often don't have that. So they're much more groggy in the morning. Energy comes later on. And if you're a typical kid going to school, that's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're not coming online until one or two in the afternoon, like that's a problem. So there are, there's sort of like this question of will working with the circadian rhythm help people then focus? In my work and working one-on-one with people, definitely it can make a huge mm. difference. That's still anecdotal because it's just a small number of people, but this is an area that there does seem to be more and more interest as far as research goes. So it's kind of like a novel treatment of could working with circadian rhythm help people with ADHD symptoms. Wow. Mm. It just makes me wonder, like, who decided it was nine to five? Like, those are the working hours. You know what I mean? It definitely doesn't do any favors for people who seem to be, like, hitting their stride at, like, two or three in the afternoon. You know, it's like, finally, they're feeling like they can actually focus and feeling like they have the attention to do the thing. And so it's a sounds like it's a pretty big amount of people who are like struggling with this and maybe just blaming themselves, right? Like blaming themselves. Danny and I always talk about we're kind of different when it comes to sleep. And Danny's been kind of going through, you did like a sleep study this year and some other stuff. 
And Danny's like, it doesn't matter what time I go to bed. I'll, I'll sleep till 10. Like I just will always sleep till 10 a.m. Which is, I can go to bed at, at 8 p.m. I can go to bed at 1 a.m. Like I'll sleep till 10. And then it takes her like coffee and then like all these other things to get to the point mm-hmm. where – and then you're wide awake and like your best time for work is in the afternoon, the evening. And so it's like a lot of people probably feel bad, right? You get this like, oh, you're lazy or you get um, – you know, you just can't get up in the morning. Like what's wrong with you when you're saying like, hey, there's actually – is this a genetic component? What's – how do we know – like where does this come from? Partially genetic. You know, there's a certain amount of genetics that are going to influence our circadian rhythm and then environment where you live. I think a certain amount though of like they call it your chronotype of being like early bird or night owl, a certain part of that Mm. is genetic. Like I can do my absolute best, but I'm never going to be someone who wants to go to bed at 9 p.m. and get up at 5. And it's interesting because my husband actually is that like quintessential early bird. And so we just had to agree like, okay, like we just won't go to sleep at the same time and that that's fine. But it is sort of like when I look at him, he can push his bedtime back, but he'll never be someone who's like buzzing around the house at 11 p.m. like I could be. I can so relate to this because my ex-partner was the morning and I was not. And now we're both kind of later. I I still tend to just want to be in bed for 10 to 12 hours. So it really doesn't matter when I go to bed. (laughs) But but I will say this. So I'm really, I was really excited to talk to you because um, over the last year, I, I got off my antidepressants and I've been really working on that part of myself. But I was, I've been talking to my partner and my daughter too. I said, the next year, I really want to focus on my attention issues. And so I'm like, I feel like I've really gotten the depression down, so to speak, or at least I'm managing so much better. But the fucking ADHD shit is like really, really still a struggle. It's just forgetfulness. It's, um, I don't know, it's a, a lot of forgetfulness. That's for damn sure. Um, it's, you know, I'm starting something in one room and then I don't know how I ended up there and I start doing something else. And then I forget what I was doing a second ago and why I even came down to the kitchen to begin with. And so this is something that's really a struggle or even just making plans with people and then forgetting to write it down and then looking like I have a flake because I missed an appointment or I missed a meeting or I'm late or something like that. So I've been, you know, digging down the rabbit hole, trying to figure things out. And the one thing I have found that does help is medication. And I don't, and I, you know, I was watching Andrew Huberman's whole thing and he's like, yes, it helps. You know, you can get Adderall, you can get uh, Ritalin, but it's very, very difficult to get quite honestly. You have to go to the doctor like monthly because they're schedule one substances or whatever they are. So I don't really want to depend on meds. Um, If it's like a really big day, I'll take something, but I'm trying to figure out what I can do naturally. And so obviously it sounds like sleep is one thing, which that's been something I've been working on, but what else? Maybe there's diet. I know I used to work with young children and I had some really, really hyperactive kids and a few of them, their, their parents changed their diets and they were, it was like night and day difference. And mostly they pull out stuff like food colorings, but I'm not eating Cheetos and I'm not drinking Kool-Aid and that kind of thing. So as an adult eating adult food that I feel like I'm not getting weird shit, what else can I do maybe in my diet or besides sleep? Like what can help? Okay. So when we think about what's driving ADHD, there's kind of a lot of different stones that I would probably want to turn over if I were working with you and trying to figure out what would move the the dial the most for you. Because for most women with ADHD, there's going to be certain areas that are going to make a much 
bigger difference than others. So it's not a one size fits all. So sleep is definitely a huge pillar, right? And it's not just sleep, but it's also just the whole rhythm throughout the day. Like what we were saying with the delayed rhythm, if your cortisol is really low in the morning, it's going to be really hard to focus then. And so working on just that overall like daily rhythm, daily routine. So sleep, stress, you know, when stress goes up, ADHD symptoms go up. Diet can make a really big difference. There's some interesting studies on elimination diets with ADHD. And it seems like for some reason diet, when there's something kind of irritating to the body that's either driving an inflammatory response or for some people, certain foods are going to increase like histamines, which then makes it harder to focus. Mm. So there's some research on doing elimination diets so that you figure out what it is for you. Like most, yes, most well-known is the food dye thing. So like getting out red food dye and and things like that. Mm. But what I tend to find is it really is personal. For some people, Mm. it's gluten. For some people, it's dairy. For some people, it's eggs. You know, so kind of like cutting out the most common allergens. It's usually helpful to work with somebody just to rule out and, you know, like never cut out gluten before you've ruled out gluten sensitivity or celiac disease first. Mm. So it's helpful to work with someone on this, but doing dietary changes. And then I also always look at things like, is there an abnormal histamine response happening, which for a certain number of people with ADHD, like probably between like 50 and 60%, they're going to be producing potentially too much histamine. And it's, Mm -hmm. is it that they're just genetically not breaking it down well enough? Is it coming from the environment? And so typically people know that they have issues with this. If they have like seasonal allergies, eczema, a lot of times people get headaches or IBS kind of symptoms. You might get like hives or rashes. So usually there's a lot of other symptoms going on that kind of can help us See, so it's the whole thing with naturopathic medicine of looking at the whole yeah. body. For some people, it's really hormonally driven. There's not nearly enough research on this, but we definitely know that when hormones change, your ability to focus changes mm-hmm. because hormones are going to impact your serotonin and your, your norepinephrine and your dopamine. So a lot of people notice that ADHD gets worse, like right before your period, or a lot of people come to me when they hit perimenopause. Cause that's mm-hmm. when it's like all of a sudden focus seems all over the place because your hormones are fluctuating more rapidly. So there can be a lot of different places that we kind of begin, but I always like to look at how are we bringing the body into balance more as a whole yeah. Back yeah. to the histamine thing. Could you just pop a Benadryl every day and, <laughs> and that would help? Like, I mean, of course I'd be sleepy. That would fix two things, my sleep and maybe, <laughs> but, but seriously, like, could you take aller- like an allergy pill and would that would people with ADHD and a histamine response, would that be a notable difference? Have you it seen totally, that? it totally depends. Yeah. When I've made videos about histamine, I always get hundreds mm-hmm. of comments from people saying like, that's why I take Zyrtec or Benadryl and it helps me focus. It There's been research around this of like, why are there histamine issues in people with ADHD? And it yeah. seems like antihistamines across the board don't necessarily help, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still kind of something that's evolving. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, um, can you speak a little bit to, I mean, I know obviously, again, as an naturopathic physician, you you can talk on a lot of different things. And, but the ADHD stuff, like how did you arrive at this topic? 
you know, I know a little bit about your history. You were working at a natural, what was it? It was like a clinic, but it was mostly centered around mental health in Portland or what was it exactly? Yes. So in Portland, I was the medical director for, it was called a community-based mental health clinic. So essentially Mm -hmm. it was a team of quite a few therapists and they worked mostly in the community. So that meant they would go to people's houses. We worked mostly with lower income populations. So a lot of clientele on the Medicaid, so the Oregon Health Plan. And I was the medical director. So I was meeting with people to do the physical evaluations. And then also I did a lot of medication management. You know, I always worked with people to see if we could do as much holistic and integrative treatments as possible. But for a lot of the people I worked with, they really wanted medication. And so I got pretty well-versed in prescribing that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because this is, I mean, obviously ADHD is just one piece of it, but you know, there's, I feel like so many people are identifying as adult ADHD now more than I can ever remember. And you know, there's, there's a part of me, and I think this is just me playing the devil's advocate. There's a part of me that's like, is this just like the next empath, you know, like the person who's like, I'm an empath or like, you just, or like, are you, are you just like, don't, you can't hold your shit together. Like, so how do you feel like, I mean, plus I just feel like because of the attention and like the attention going down on social media and how we're constantly being bombarded with messages and three second video hooks and like all this kind of stuff. Is this now just bringing out ADHD symptoms from people who are like pre sort of uh, what's the word? Like, um, you know, maybe, yeah, predisposed to this or is this, or are people just using this, I don't want to say as an excuse, but like in a way, like, are they just being like, well, I'm ADHD, so I don't have to work on my lifestyle or, or focus or, you know, have to look at this part of myself that I want to be more dialed. And I also want to talk to you about maybe the benefits of HGA too in a little bit, but are you seeing this as well? Absolutely. So almost like what you said, both things are true. So we are seeing an explosion in ADHD diagnoses, and it's definitely something that both people are talking about and they're looking into into the research. But there are a lot of different statistics, but I do know, especially in adult women, the numbers are staggering as far as when you look at between 2020 and 2022, the number of women diagnosed with ADHD doubled. So that's insane. And if you look at the numbers for prescriptions like stimulants, those numbers have also been increasing like crazy. And so it's not a simple answer though, because there also is a very real kind of universal difficulty with focusing with social media, being on our screens, having our dopamine system, which is what is most dominant in what produces ADHD symptoms. It's typically thought that people with ADHD have lower dopamine or they might have fluctuating dopamine. So it's like generally the baseline's a lot lower. And then what that means is dopamine, I've heard it said that it's the what controller. So it controls what you do and what you say and what you feel. So if your dopamine's really low, it can be harder to motivate to like get started on a task around your house, to do your dishes, to start on that you know project you meant to work on. So when our dopamine system is being constantly like touched on by social media, it can definitely make it hard for most people to feel that same level of excitement and stimulation with everyday things. Mm. Picking up a book suddenly feels boring if you could be 
looking at this really dynamic, like social, like there's constant new information coming on social media or the, you know, really bright, flashy, interesting video game, a book feels boring. Mm. So there is a real kind of phenomenon happening there where everyone's focus is, is being taken. However, the thing with people being diagnosed with ADHD is also real. And it's kind of a perfect storm. It actually started back about 10 years ago. So in 2013 is when the newest version of the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual that's used for psychiatric diagnoses that came out in 2013. And the diagnostic criteria for ADHD changed and it became Mm. easier to diagnose people. So that kind of set the stage for it being easier to be diagnosed. Then you have more cultural awareness. Then you have things like hashtag ADHD TikTok, Mm. getting, you know, a a billion people using it. You have people talking about their experience. You have providers. Suddenly you see this content everywhere. And then you throw into it a pandemic, you know, multiple telehealth agencies specializing in ADHD. And so all of a sudden you're seeing this, this huge explosion that really was a decade in the making. Wow. So interesting. When you see patients with ADHD, do you see a lot of, I don't want to call them comorbidities, but I don't know what you would call them. Co-mental issues like anxiety, depression. I know anxiety and depression tend to go hand in hand with a lot, but how does ADHD fit into those? So when I see people with ADHD, it's very, very common, especially with women, to see comorbid anxiety and depression. Women especially will often manifest the anxiety and depression first, and that's actually what gets them in to see a medical provider, because so often for us, the ADHD symptoms, we internalize them, we feel more shame, there's a lot more feeling Mm -hmm. of, I should be able to do this. And then Mm -hmm. that ends up coming out in us more as anxiety and depression, but it's very common to see that in men as well, just that often all goes together. And then there's quite a few comorbid physical conditions that are kind of interesting, but usually people seek out my help for kind of more than one thing. So ADHD will be on the list. Then often there might be something hormonal like really bad PMS or PMDD is more common in women with ADHD, mm-hmm. migraine headaches, chronic fatigue syndrome, autism is obviously very common. And then I'm trying to think what else, hypermobility syndromes like Ehlers-Danlos, low iron. There's so many things that seem to coexist in people with ADHD. And so um, I often find that by coming up with treatments for the whole picture, that's where people can often see the most benefit. Have you, have you seen anything related to trauma and ADHD? Cause I feel like I've been researching a lot on that with trauma and depression, but I don't know if there's any correlation in trauma with ADHD. There's a huge overlap both in the symptoms of PTSD and ADHD. So especially in children, the diagnosis can often feel really muddled. And so when you read like psychological evaluations of kids who've had a lot of trauma, they'll often say like preliminary diagnosis of ADHD, but it could just be PTSD. Mm -hmm. So keep evaluating this every couple of years because you end up seeing just changes in the nervous system where people can be really like, there's so much overlap in how they can show up. But then also having traumatic early life experiences is a risk factor for ADHD. So there really can be so much overlap. And I think it's an area that 
ADHD ends up being criticized because people like people really in the trauma world will say, well, it's all trauma. Mm. And my perspective tends to be, well, both, both can exist. And I've Mm -hmm. definitely seen quite a few patients who have PTSD and they still have ADHD. And in a certain way, I think anyone who's had severe history of trauma, we always want to be, you know, working with that, like finding really qualified mental health professionals and working with that piece of it. And someone could still have ADHD. Yeah. You mentioned nervous system regulation too, or you said nervous system. So do you think we've talked about diet and we've talked about like sleep, are there things like exercise or nervous system regulation, maybe breath work and things like that, that help with focus? That you, I don't know, you prescribe to people like, hey, go on a walk or breathe really heavy or something. (laughs) Those things can be incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I'm always sort of cautious to say it because I feel like right now in the health world, this term like nervous system regulation is really hot. Like it's everywhere. And I'm not sure even what a lot, like what what everyone (laughs) else is talking about when they say that. But when I think about it, so with with the hormones, with the chemicals that impact ADHD, it really can mimic our fight or flight system in our nervous system. So anything we're doing to regulate that can be helpful. So for some people, even just taking out some of the stimulants, like cutting back on caffeine can be really helpful. For some people, even taking out things that can alter your, like alcohol, taking out alcohol can be really helpful for ADHD. And then the practices. So things like walking, I think exercise is just incredibly helpful for a million reasons, but so regular exercise can be really helpful. And then the things like yoga. Interestingly, a lot of the women in my practice who have managed their ADHD symptoms the best, like who didn't get diagnosed until their forties or fifties, a lot of times I think they did as well as they did because they had some sort of daily practice Mm. with yoga, meditation, Mm. breath work, those sorts of things. It's definitely not required. I think people can get great results. And a lot of times the nervous system work is extra challenging for people who are neurodivergent because your mind is going so fast. It's, it's really takes a lot of effort to build a practice around that, but Mm. it's often worth it. So interesting to me. You had mentioned um, hormones, and I would probably say most of the listeners of The Best Life are probably 35 plus, dealing with a lot of either you know menopause or perimenopausal symptoms, Danny and I included. So can you explain to us like how this is all connected? So like we always kind of hear as a joke, like, oh, I went to the other room and I like, didn't know why I was in there. And like just these kind of like anecdotal things that come up. But like, what is actually going on? Like when you're entering perimenopause, how is your hormone levels changing? How is that impacting your brain chemistry and then maybe bringing up some of these things? I mean, I know I've just like, just little stuff, like I'm like, forget a word or like, you know, just stuff like that, like brain fog and some of these things where I think we just think, oh, this is normal. Like you just have these when you get older, but what's actually going on And then what would you recommend? Are you an HRT fan? Are you like how, you know, what would you sort of recommend here? So as the body gets closer to perimenopause and then into menopause, what we tend to see is hormones, they're changing, they're fluctuating more. And so, but it's, it's ultimately going towards menopause where your hormones are going down. So you have lower estrogen and lower progesterone. And so a lot of times estrogen is really blamed for the 
the main hormone that goes down that causes a lot of symptoms. So most famously in, in what hormone replacement is approved for is hot flashes. But this is also where you see worsening focus, mood changes, sleep issues, skin changes, all of these things are impacted by hormone systems. And so, I mean, part of it is just normal in that it's a transition. So I, I think that even for people who are like really healthy and, and kind of doing everything they can, that there still is a transition you're going through as your hormones decrease. But I think that there's a lot that we can do to support the body. And I am a fan of HRT for when it's appropriate and prescribed well. I think it can make a really big difference and it can reduce symptoms and it can be protective against things like heart disease and cognitive decline later on. It can help preserve bone density. So definitely can be helpful. And I also like to do things with lifestyle. So this is where, you know, really trying to dial in sleep, which I know is sometimes easier said than done. And lots of people come to me because it's the first time in their life they ever had insomnia before. Diet changes can help just even simple things like increasing dietary fiber, which we know can help to like um, dietary fiber helps to bind with excess hormones and pull them out of our system because we want to be excreting what we've already metabolized. So a lot with lifestyle can make a difference in kind of just making those hormone fluctuations gentler and um, have less symptoms. When you say fiber and it excrete, you're really, that's like when people say detox, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Like it's kind of like, cause that word gets thrown around too, right? It's like detox teas and like whatever. And you're just saying like, look, take a shit every day. And like, and that's going to definitely help with detox, you know, cause like staying regular, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's just, do you get to the point where maybe this is something you talk about with your clients where it just feels like so much, it just feels like, wow. Like, you know, it just, if you had to give someone, cause then that becomes stressful. I got to, now I got to do sauna. I got to do breath work. I got to do the cold plunge. I got to do like, and then all of a sudden, now all of a sudden I'm even more stressed. And this is, I'm sure this is a, like a conversation you have with your clients all the time because probably someone who, I mean, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist, right? Recovering sort of type A personality. We want to do it right. We want to make sure we're doing it right or else we're not going to do it at all, right? Like we have to do it right. And then that becomes like another thing that we're stressed about. So how do you recommend at a 30,000 foot view, someone who's having this experience, someone who's noticing maybe I am a, you know, maybe I'm noticing more ADHD symptoms as I get older. Obviously my hormones are changing. I am having bouts of depression. I am having bouts of anxiety, like big dial movers, you know, like what are some of the things or how would you help someone navigate all of that stuff at once? I would choose one or two things to really focus on because I'm with you. If you're trying to do all the things, you're probably not doing them all well and it's going to be stressful and you're going to feel perfectionistic and it's just probably going to be too much. And then it kind of defeats the purpose of trying to take care of yourself anyway. And so I can't say what the like two dial movers would be for each person because it is going to be individual for some people, especially in perimenopause taking out something like wine will just take out their hot flashes, you know? And it's like this one thing, they just stop drinking. They're still eating whatever and going to bed late and using their screens, whatever. So sometimes it's just one thing that just all of a sudden their liver is not having to metabolize the alcohol. And it's like, oh, that was great. I can sleep through the night. I don't get night sweats. This is enough. That won't be the case for everybody. 
So I think it will be individual, but I think most people know, they know what the thing is that they like, Mm. it's the thing, like there's often like one or two things that you're like, oh yeah. Like I know for me, sleep and exercise often make a bigger difference than being obsessive with my diet. Mm. And you know, my diet is good, it's quality, but I don't need to monitor every little thing that I eat as long as I'm like exercising and moving a lot and making sure that I'm getting quality rest. So I think usually choosing one or two things, and it's also really helpful to work with somebody because sometimes someone else can look at your life and tell you what the two big things are that really will move the dial that we might have either blind spots or maybe denial for what we really need. And so this is where having support and working with someone to also kind of gauge, is this working? Because you shouldn't have to do something obsessively for the rest of your life. Like there should be markers to say, Ooh, this is working. Let's keep going. Or maybe this isn't really worth the time, effort, energy. Yeah. Why are you going to mess my wine, Laura? I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> if someone, if I work with Nobody someone wants to hear and that, they're like, yeah. no wine, no coffee. I'm like, I'm finding someone else. <laughs> It's always exactly. <laughs> Cherry exactly. pick my provider. <laughs> I always find the coffee thing interesting when people say to take it out because uh, Adderall and Ritalin are stimulants. So I would think that coffee is actually helps people with ADHD in the majority of cases. But is that not the case? So caffeine can help some people with ADHD. Mm-hmm. It is a stimulant. It doesn't work nearly as well as something like Adderall or Ritalin. So if someone is self-medicating with coffee, I often will say, you know, have you considered just doing a stimulant? Because coffee, it mm-hmm. tends to, I don't even know how to say this, but it just like, it it like is messes with you more. There's more of a crash. You need mm-hmm. to have it all day long and then you get used to it. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, have you tried cocaine? <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you just tried straight coke? Because that would be just it's my new morning routine. Just a line or two. <laughs> just a little bother. So coffee can be used. Sometimes people will use it instead of a stimulant because they'll mm-hmm. say that they just prefer it. But for a lot of people, there's just too much of a crash. Mm. So I have to admit this one thing. I, I'm admitting this publicly. I haven't told anyone. I listened to the Paris Hilton autobiography. And uh, I have feelings about that. It was really good. It was actually really fucking good. And I don't like follow her, don't really know, but I was like, I was curious about it. But she talks about having ADHD. That's like a big part of her story. And she's very much like, for so long, no one in my life understood me. And it was the first time that I heard someone say that there's, there could be a benefit to ADHD. And not that I don't want to like shame people who have it and be like, oh, it's all bad, I'm sure. But like, how can it help you? Like, how, what are some of the benefits for people? Like, there's this idea of like, she was talking about like maybe embracing it and being like, okay, I don't need to be fixed. I don't need, there's nothing wrong with me that needs to be fixed here. There's not like a pathology or something I need to like change, but let's just say you are working with someone and like, how do you, I don't know what the word would be, maximize ADHD if someone has it. I am such a believer in this. I've never heard Paris Hilton talk about it, but now I want to go and listen to her autobiography because 
uh, like it's really part of my fundamental philosophy in working with with people with ADHD is that their brain is not broken. It doesn't need to be fixed. And that doesn't mean there aren't necessarily problems that are, you know, maybe suboptimal, but that there's actually a whole theory that ADHD was an evolutionary adaptation Mm -hmm. that for some reason we have certain people in the population who have this ability to hyper-focus. You know, we talk about so much of ADHD as this difficulty focusing, but what everyone with ADHD also knows is that there is this ability to focus on something to the point that you forget to eat and you, you know, you're so immersed in it when it interests you because you have an interest-based nervous system. And so often what I see is like, how can we lean into that? And Typically, I think the people who do best are those who are have naturally chosen a career that has a lot of change and it's novel and it's really interesting to them. Like I tend to see people with ADHD are often they thrive under pressure. So often like high pressure jobs, like being an ER physician or being a lawyer, like can thrive, but then it's the everyday things that other people might call simple or actually where life suddenly gets really hard. So doing your dishes, grocery shopping, making your bed, doing your laundry, those things just, it just feels like everything's falling apart there. Mm. So a lot of times people with ADHD are really highly creative and can really have gifts with seeing things differently and thinking outside the box. And a lot of times they have lots of energy, are really social, can be really funny. Like there's so many positives that come along with the challenges of having ADHD. And I know sometimes people feel offended when you even say something like that, because it's like, well, so hard for me. Mm. And it often is really hard. Like when you're kind of stuck inside a box, like some kids with ADHD struggle in school, no matter what their intelligence, because they just struggle in that system of having to be seated for that many hours a day and not get to focus on what they want to learn on a day-to-day basis. But there are so many like good qualities that we can lean into. And I think a lot of times too, it's like, how can we pull from our strengths to then be able to conquer some of the things that are harder for us? Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really given it too much thought, but I know Danny and her partner have been kind of talking about this and one of the things that Danny has been talking about on this podcast and exploring in her own life is alternative, uh, I don't know, I guess like psychedelics. And like, is there, can you talk a little bit about that? Is there some research there anecdotally? Like, what is your belief? I mean, I think that I've maybe even heard you say something around like, you know, using psilocybin or some of these other modalities. What, um, what are you seeing there? I don't know of actual research around psychedelics and ADHD, but I'm generally a huge advocate for safe, appropriate use of psychedelics. And so I think that they can just help to open up our, our minds to new and different ways of seeing ourselves in the world. And so I think so many people with ADHD have have a lot of internalized story and shame of, of, what they're supposed to be like and that psychedelics can often help to rewrite that story into leaning into 
being who you really are, which, you know, I know a lot of people with ADHD feel kind of like the black sheep of their family or like there was always something kind of different about them. And that, that was actually true. It just isn't necessarily a problem. Mm. And so I think psychedelics are really interesting. I really closely follow the research that's coming out around how it can help with PTSD and anxiety and depression. But I also just think it can really, they can be really helpful when people are trying to recreate themselves and create new stories for themselves. So, you know, safe and appropriate use. Like I know there's some people that they're definitely just not appropriate for, but for the majority of people, I think they can be a great tool. Yeah. There's a, there feels like, and I'm not sure Danny has some question around that, but yeah, the, it's, um, can you talk a little bit about their research? I mean, and maybe there's not around ADHD, but obviously like depression, PTSD, anxiety, stuff like that. Um, what would you consider to be safe and appropriate? Hmm. Well, it's kind of a gray area. So the research really is focusing on treatment resistant depression and PTSD. It seems like that's where we're going to see legal therapeutic use the fastest. But I actually would just consider if you are a lay person try, wanting to have a psychedelic experience and do it safely, it's just making sure that you know certain mental health conditions would make it maybe not appropriate, like a family history of schizophrenia or a personal history of bipolar, like use extreme caution and I would definitely talk to a medical provider about that. But for people who want to explore it, I mean, there's, there's so much happening right now with people who are guiding others through that experience. And I would just make sure that it's somebody reputable and that the substances themselves are safe and tested because they're certainly, you know, right now they're illegal. So you don't necessarily know what you're getting. Um, but a lot of my patients are exploring that and I'm seeing them have really beautiful transformative experiences. Wow. I love it. I Anything love that. on that, Danny? I mean, yeah. I know you've been like uh, thinking about it, doing a little bit of that, exploring. Yeah. I mean, I, I do read a lot of the research as well. And I feel like I saw something recently. I was going to look through my inbox, but um, I think LSD and ADHD, but there's, I mean, there's so many things. There's MDMA trials, there's psilocybin trials, there's ketamine trials and LSD, and there's all kinds of things that are being used, being used for all kinds of um, mental health issues as well. And I've seen just personal, you know, personal anecdotally for myself, just such huge changes. Like I said, I haven't been on antidepressants for over a year and I think a lot of that was due to some experimentation last year. I wouldn't say experimentation. I think I did safe, um, I had safe surroundings and um, was using some different substances. But I love that you are also open to it. I think a lot of general doctors aren't necessarily um, or maybe aren't paying attention to the research that's out there. So I think that's something else that I like about working with someone who's more naturopathic is there at least... I feel like more open to alternative therapies. And I hope that this becomes less of an alternative therapy and more of a like primary therapy um, along with all the lifestyle stuff that you're suggesting. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. Let's talk about Matthew Perry. So do you feel like this is going to set that movement back a little bit? I honestly have been really thinking about that ever since the headline came out that it was ketamine, excess ketamine. Yeah. And I, 
I don't know. I don't know if it's going to set the movement back. I hope it won't. I mean, I will say since ketamine is the current legal legal psychedelic that we have more research around that. And since it does have to be administered by a medical professional, that there, that, that creates a certain amount of safety, but it definitely concerns me that it might set the because people are going, what's the narrative? Back. People are like, oh, I knew it was drugs. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, exactly. of course. Especially because it doesn't I mean, help the days of history. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Exactly. I'm in a group chat, actually, um, from Wonderland speakers. So I was supposed to speak at Wonderland. It's a big psychedelic um, conference every year in Miami. And so there was a group chat going on when that came out. And they were really concerned about the narrative around that. But it seems as if he took enough that would just make him unconscious. So it wasn't the ketamine that killed him. It's just the fact that he took enough to make him unconscious because it puts you under and then he drowned. Right. So it's like, it's, but it's tricky because the way the headlines look, it, it definitely, I think is not going to help. It's going to make people ask a lot more questions. And I think asking questions is fine, but I hate to see that people who can have a real, like have real help in something, not go after those therapies because of what happened. And it's such a bummer. Um, I mean, it's such a bummer what happened to him, but he did struggle. And I, I also think that he was undergoing some ketamine therapy, but he did it outside the scope of what, you know, what was prescribed, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're taking something that's going to make you unconscious and you're sitting in a bathtub. That's not wise. So there was a lot of things going on there, but I don't know, Jill, I, I think it could be, I think it could set back, although I hope not too much the one thing about the news cycles is that they're so quick there's something else coming up so maybe it's going to be a blip and people will pay attention for five seconds so that's my hope is that it'll be like the news will be like look over here and then we'll forget about <laughs> forget about that one that's what i hope too and that it, people could see it more critically and thinking yeah. like okay well this is why we want to make sure that people are using things as prescribed and getting help mm-hmm. if they have tendencies towards addiction and that when used appropriately, it can really save people's lives. Mm. Yeah. Have you seen, like, cause I know obviously, you know, we're talking a lot about ADHD here, but like, also I know that obviously you've done a lot in your own practice with people just with anxiety and stress and sleep and all these kind of things. Did you see a lot of that shift during the pandemic? And are we kind of like out of the woods on that? Are we still sort of like, trying to pull ourselves out of that hole that we were seeing. Like I was in a, I was in a mastermind in 2021. Um, and one of the women in the mastermind was a, she was teaching, um, uh, therapists how to build their business and her business fucking grew up, like blew up. Right. Because now all these, these therapists have like, they're maxed out. They like, can't even take any more clients. So she's teaching them like how to do like, you know, leverage your time and increase their rates and all that kind of stuff. So, are we still seeing that now? Like, I mean, you know, how has your business sort of changed over the last few years at all? Your clinic and like how you're seeing patients and, and kind of like share with me a little bit about the, the status of sort of the anxiety, depression right. status. So the, pan- <laughs> the pandemic was like a great unearther where I feel like when, if you had anything just kind of brewing into the surface that you were coping with, it just had that a huge explosion where we just saw in like crazy rates of anxiety, depression, substance use, new ADHD diagnosis, people who'd had pre-existing ADHD diagnosis suddenly want medication for treatment. So just it like brought everything to the surface. And honestly, I'm still working with people where they will say this started during the pandemic. 
and I'm still dealing with it. And so even though life has gone back to normal in so many ways, I, I have still seen that people are grappling with things that kind of got set in motion in that time. Mm. And I think people are doing better. Like I know during the pandemic, I was still working in person and just business exploded. I went from being reasonably like busy. Like I was satisfied with my schedule every day to having a three month wait list and having a problem where it was just too busy. And so there definitely was an explosion in that time of people acutely, urgently seeking mental health support. And I think now that has kind of like regulated, but I mean, I do think there may have been some good things that came out of that and people just really, you know, people started going to therapy then and kept going to therapy. So I think, you know, at least where I live, most of the therapists are still really booked, but not at that same level of just like everyone's in crisis and everyone is needing a lot of support. So I feel like it's it's kind of evened out, but definitely it set in motion some things that I think people are still dealing with. And you made a career change at that time too, to kind of go off on your own and start your own virtual clinic. And are the people you're seeing more, and we'll definitely share like your details in terms of how people can reach out to you and learn more about your offerings. Um, but are you, is most of your practice now ADHD uh, patients or just all over the board? Most of the people that I end up working with have ADHD and something else. And then there's a certain number of people who just have some sort of chronic health issue that they're looking for support with, where they don't identify as having ADHD. It's definitely the like the minority of people who work with me, but most people have multi, you know, they'll have ADHD as one complaint and then often something with their gut health. There's some bloating or IBS or something going on there, something with their energy. So a lot of times people are really burned out and they're really fatigued. And then there's often something hormonal. Like those are just the people who mostly find me. Like there can be so many other kind of iterations of how people present, but that tends to be the people in my practice right now. I think we've just gotten used to being burned out. Maybe that's me. Yeah. I'm like, this is just living. Like I'm going to try and go to sleep at 8 p.m. Like, right. Like, I'm just going to try and like sleep it off. But I've been just talking to so many people and it's just like, everyone is burned out. I don't know if it's an attention thing or it's a, you know, like a work thing or end of the year thing or anything, but well, the work you're doing, I'm sure is helping so many and, uh, you always share so generously on your social as well. So, um, make sure you guys are following Laura. What is your, um, what's your handle and your website or contact info? So across, Across all platforms, Dr. Laura Gouge. So that's where I am on Instagram, TikTok. That's my website. So people can get in touch with me through any of those. Yeah. Nice. What do you have coming up? Anything fun? So just in life or in my business? Both. <laughs> Either or. You got married last year, right? Yeah. So I just had my one year anniversary. So that was also it was a really big year as far as coming down from like having a wedding and we moved to Austin eight months before our wedding. So really settling into being here, settling into my work, being totally virtual and not having some of it in person anymore. So massive transition. So I'm really excited for this next year and just actually having like stability after what felt like changes in every possible category of my life. And, um, actually getting to enjoy time here more and get back to traveling and doing things like that. Yay. Well, we love Austin. So maybe we'll see you in 2024 for something fun. Yeah. But thank you so much for being here. Dan, do you have anything else? 
No, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. And I'm excited for our followers to find you online and ask more questions if we forgot any, uh, if it's okay, if they DM you or maybe you'll, you, I'm sure you have a ton of things already answered on your content. So we'll just encourage them to scroll through and see what you've posted already. But thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you both so much for having me. It is so exciting to be here. Jill, before I ever even worked with you or did your mastermind, I used to listen to this podcast every day. I love it. So this is a beautiful first full circle moment to get to be a guest. So thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. I love that so much. Well, if you're listening to this and you guys identify with this content, go and follow Laura. She's amazing. Dr. Laura Gouge on social. Uh, Reach out to her, check her website, all that good stuff, even if you just get a consult. Uh, But do you have a podcast? You don't. All right. Not yet. Or you no, do? not yet. Okay. No podcast. Okay. Something. Mm-mm. All right. Awesome. Well, you are the best. Just thanks for sharing so much with our audience. And I think so many people are going to relate to this. So you're the best. And uh, thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. All right. Okay. Thank you. You got it. Bye. All right. Bye guys. Bye.